Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Today, Pastor Johnson brings a post-Easter message entitled, Living the Fourth Day. In this sermon, he will answer the question, what is the fourth day and how do we live it? And now, Pastor Johnson. But I, I want to I talk to you today on this subject, living the fourth day. I want to talk to you about living the fourth day. It's not something I made up. This is not something that I created. It's something that I read about several weeks ago, and I wanted to share it because I'm still on resurrection, okay? This whole month is going to be about resurrection. And, uh, and, and our, our purpose in life is still a part of our future. We must continue in the purpose that God has for us. It's not just getting caught up in the hype of Easter. It's learning how to put one foot in front of the other and living the fourth day in your life. So I want to talk about that today, and I want you to turn to somebody and say, it's time to live the fourth. Come on, it's time to live the fourth. God bless you, and you may be seated in the name of the Lord. There's a phrase that comes from a time of of Easter. It is in the aftermath of the resurrection season. It simply says, live the fourth day. In fact, it's a part of the Emmaus walk that was shared by Cleophas, another man, and a resurrected Savior called Jesus. The phrase is simply called living the fourth day. Living, say it with me, living the fourth day. That's what it's called. What does it mean? What does it entail? What is meant by the fourth day? What's the spiritual significance in all of that lineage and rhetoric? The first mystery of life is how do we get from nothing to something? That's the riddle of creation. The second mystery is how we get from matter to life. That's the riddle of existence. The third mystery is how we get from life to mind. That's the riddle of consciousness. The fourth mystery is how do we get from death to life. That's the riddle of resurrection. Last Sunday was a day of celebration. How many of you clapped your little hands off and last Sunday? You just enjoyed last Sunday. Wasn't it awesome? But I want to tell you this Sunday is also a day of celebration. For every time we come together, we come to celebrate who God is and what he has done and what he has been and what he will be and what he has already accomplished in our life. This is called worship. Everybody say worship. Worship. Last week was resurrection week, but today is another day of celebration. I call it living the fourth day. Every day that is not the third day is the fourth day. If you study what theologians have placed in life, you have to understand that the third day is the day that we celebrate. That was when all the herb-bearing plants were created. That's when all the seed was put in the ground to germinate, to grow. 
And we talk about resurrection. We talk about springing forth. But on the fourth day, God put the sun and the moon in place. The lesser light to rule the night, the greater light to rule the day. And so now we have days and now we have nights and now we have mornings and now we have evenings. And everything, you listen to me, that is not third day related is called the fourth day. So if you're two years past, if you're three years past your creation with Christ in a new life, you're living the fourth day. The fourth day is the aftermath of anything that brings resurrection to your life. Our worship is an act of giving God the praise He deserves in spite of whatever has happened in our week. It's on the screen. 90% of Americans say they believe in God, yet 55% consistently choose to be somewhere else other than church on Sunday. Survey taken, there's four reasons people give for not going to church. Number one, they say church is very boring. I can agree with that in some places. Number two, they say church members are unfriendly. Let's don't let that happen in this church. Number three, they say church is more interested in money than it is in souls and in my life. And that has happened in some places. And number four, they say child care is not a priority. People don't come to church because they don't have an interest in God. Most are concerned about spiritual matters in their life. Some don't think church should be entertaining, but I want to ask, why not? Why shouldn't church be entertaining? Here's what the dictionary says about entertaining. It means to hold a person's attention. It means to treat people as special guests. It means to show hospitality. I think this church ought to be an entertaining church. Amen. No, we're not trying to put on a show, but I think we ought to entertain the greatest one that ever has been, ever will be, and ever shall be. Almighty God, every time we walk in this house, come on, magnify him right now. That's what it's all about, our worship that we give God each week. We give it to him despite what's happened to us during the week. Three disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration when they were with Jesus, Jesus' garment became glistering white. He was trans, translated and they came down. They came down from the mountain. His garments became glistering white. And when they got to the bottom of the mountain after being on top of the Mount of Transfiguration, they walked down and they couldn't handle a child devil. They couldn't handle a spirit that was in a child much less in a man called the demonic of Gadara. What is it that you can't handle from last Sunday after going through last Sunday? Sometimes you just got to live the fourth day. So I want to preach today. You know, there was never a time in our family, there was never a time in our family when I would get up and say, Dad, I don't feel like going to school today. I think I'm going to stay home. There was never a day like that. My dad say, okay, son, that's fine. Just get dressed then. Get dressed, dad. Why? Because we're going to the field. You're going to work today. When I was zero to 10 years old, I lived on a farm, and that was dad's remedy for me not feeling good enough to go to school. I got perfect attendance records at school. 
I learned how to live the fourth day. Because if I didn't, I was going to the cotton patch. I was going to the, to the, to the wheat field. I was going to do something in the field because Dad said the greatest way to get over sickness is to sweat it out. I love Coach Strong. I'd like to meet him one day, and I will meet him one day. I've met Coach Moore, the strength and conditioning coach. But when the Longhorns out here, when those boys, I love it, what they do. When those boys say, Coach, I don't feel like working out today. I don't feel like running with the team today. Oh, you don't? That's fine. Well, let's go with Coach Moore then. We've got a place for you. It's called the pit. What's the pit? Oh, you'll see. Come on. You'll see because we've got to get you stronger we got to get you to lifting more. we got to get you to squatting more. we got to get you to pressing more. we got to get you to run. we got to put some concrete blocks around your neck and let you walk around the track two times because you're not strong enough to compete with the boys. After a while, there's not a whole lot of boys in the pit because they learn something about life. Sometimes you just have to live the fourth day. Every day, oh, let me preach right now. Every day is not a resurrection. Every day is not a Jesus coming out of the grave for you. There's a day after resurrection. There's a day after the resurrection. And that's when you just got to put one foot in front of the other and say whatever happens today, whatever takes place today, I'm going to live this day because this is a day that he has made in my life for me. Say amen. Kind of reminds me of a story of two guys met on a street corner one man asked the other man, said, how was church last Sunday? The other man said, I don't know. I was kind of bored. I think I slept through half the sermon. The first man looked shocked, said, how could you do that? You're the pastor. You preached. <laughs> I love that. Church should be more than rhetoric. It should be more than sameness. It should be more than dryness and boring. The Feast of Tabernacles was a process in the last day when the end, the end of the feast that would come, the great day of the Feast of the Festival, priests would bring water to the temple steps and pour it out as a reminder of what God did for the people of Israel in the wilderness. He gave them water from a rock, which was a symbol of what Jesus had done to our lives. He got their attention and told them this message. If on the last day, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit which those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. I want to declare something to you. On the last day of the feast, in the last part of the year, a long time from resurrection, Jesus Christ stood and said, I've got something for you. If you can just get up and walk on the fourth day, if you can get up and face the challenges of a Monday, if you can face the challenges of a Wednesday, if you can face the challenges of a Thursday, if you can chase the, face the challenges of a Friday, if you'll just come on, the last thing I'm going to give you is a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Faithfulness is not showing up making God show up for you. Faithfulness is showing up when God doesn't even show up and knowing that God is still with you. That's the strength of living the fourth day in your life. Wow, I'm on to something here. Somebody 
has got to learn to live the fourth day. Three things I want to preach about today. Number one, Jesus turned a funeral last week into a celebration. One man looked in the Bible, said he was trying to see how Jesus handled a funeral. He said Jesus didn't handle funerals. He just raised them up. I love that. So he said, I couldn't follow Jesus' orders on how to handle a funeral and what, how, to, how to take care of people at a funeral. Luke 7, the widow's son of Nain was healed. And Matthew, Jairus' daughter was healed. And John Lazarus was raised. But the greatest funeral that he ever turned into a celebration, we celebrated it last week. Now I want you, I want you to listen to me real close here, folks. I want you to listen to me real close here. We celebrated the largest, the biggest, the most gigantic, the most preposterous, the most beautiful, the most pregnant with promise thing last week that we've ever experienced in our life. In this, It was our Super Bowl last Sunday. Say amen to that. And guess what? Our team won. Team Jesus won. He did. He won last Sunday. See, Jesus and death don't share the same room. They don't even share the same house. Anybody ever encounter loss, tragedy, and hurt in life? Everyone has bad things happen to you. Loss happens. Loved ones die. Marriages get busted up. Friendships splinter. Dreams don't come as true as soon as you think they ought to come. But Jesus can turn funerals into celebrations. He did it then. He can do it now. When God's good news comes in contact with bad news, it turns bad news into good news. Here's what I want to preach to you folks, that the resurrection is such a powerful event, and we're living on this side of it. Everything we do can be garnered and pushed to the resurrection. I can overcome today. Why? He turned a funeral into a celebration. I can have victory over my kids being disobedient today. Why? He turned a funeral into a celebration. I can get have peace in my home and we can have a home that is functional. Why? Because he turned a funeral into a celebration. Oh, I want to preach right now. My kids will grow up and be godly kids. Why? Because God knows how to turn a funeral into a celebration. That's why Paul said in Romans, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Say amen to that. There's no sin that can whip you. Where sin doth abound, grace. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be. You can't even find a DNA in that blood. It's better than luminol finding blood. You can't find anything in those sins that used to be scarlet. Now they're white as snow because everything goes back to the resurrection. And because of the resurrection, I can live the fourth day. I can keep walking tomorrow. 
I can keep going forward the next day. I can have victory in my life continually because he turns funerals into celebrations. Romans 7 says it this way, for I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. In other words, I want to do it. But how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do. That's a tongue twister. But the evil I will not to do that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do it's no longer I who do it but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, worn against the law in my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to say something with me right now. I want you to say, sin, you have no hold on me. Say it again. Sin, Sin. you have no hold hold on me. me. Because I choose choose to embrace embrace the resurrection resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to walk. I'm just going to walk. Come on, somebody help me right now. I'm just going to walk. I'm going to live the fourth day. Come on. I'm going to live this fourth day. You visit Saudi Arabia today and you'll still see the stream of Hagar flowing. Hang on. Really? Really? That's not the covenant people. Stay with me. I'm preaching to you. The stream, when Hagar and Ishmael were cast out, the stream that burst up in the desert is still flowing today. It's an artesian. And it's still flowing 6,000 years later. If God, oh my Lord, would take care of one of his stepsons like that. Somebody needs to help me preach right now. You're getting it. Do you think that our stream is going to ever run out? Do you think the water's ever going to run out? Do you think it? The Bible said he has turned my morning into dancing. He has turned my morning into dancing. There's nothing like the presence of God in our life. The stream is still flowing. The anointing is still here. The resurrection is still upon us. We've got to live the fourth day. Hallelujah. Second thing that Jesus does, he turns emptiness into overflowing life. He turns emptiness into overflowing life. Everybody say, I got to live the fourth day. Wow. John 10, chapter 10 says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. 
Everybody say abundantly. That's overwhelmingly. He didn't say, he said abundantly, lee, 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 abundantly. It's overwhelmingly. It's awesomely. It's wonderfully. It's gloriously. It's mightily. It's greatly. When Lawrence of Arabia was in Paris after World War I, with some of his Arab friends, he showed them the sights of the city. But you know what impressed them most? It was the faucets in the hotel bathtub. They spent much of their time turning the faucets on and off. They were amazed that they could get the water they wanted just at the turn of a knob. And as they were preparing to leave the hotel and return to the east, Lawrence found them in the bathroom with wrenches trying to disconnect the faucets. They thought if they took the faucets home, they would have all the water that they wanted. But Lawrence had to explain to them that it wasn't the faucets that provided the water. It was a massive reservoir to which they were attached. So it is with the living water of the Holy Ghost, which Jesus promised. Unless we're connected to him, simply going through some sort of spiritual motion will not get us anywhere. Let me preach a little bit. Jesus has come to give abundant life. He has come to give us joy. Joy like a river. Joy like a fountain. Joy like an artesian overflowing well. Bubbling up from the ground and spreading throughout the land. He has come to give us peace. Peace like a river. Peace which passes all understanding. He has come to give us love. Love as deep and wide as the ocean. That's why Jesus came. Go ahead and circle the word abundantly in your scripture when you get home today. Make a note next to it. Write overflowing abundance. Power is not in the faucets. It's in the connection of the faucets. It's not just going through the motion. What I want you to understand is that we that have overcoming spirits in our lives are not just turning faucets up here. We're not just going over here and turning this knob and that knob, but we have a connection on the inside of us. And everybody in this house needs that connection to the invisible God. It's called the power of the Holy Ghost coming upon you and the strength of God that overwhelms everything in this life being inside of your life. Do you know, do you know that they say if you cheer long enough and hard enough for the longhorns, you'll start bleeding orange? <laughs> do you know that? And when I came from Red Raider country many years ago, I said I'll always be a Raider fan. Not Oakland, but always a Raider fan. I'll never root against Texas Tech. I found myself three or four years ago working in the concession stand on a Thanksgiving with playing tech, and I said, eat them up, horns, get them, get them. I'm going somewhere with this. What you worship is what will possess you. Anybody want to worship the Jesus that I'm preaching about today? What you worship is what will overwhelm you. Anybody got an amen for Jesus? Anybody got a thanks for turning the funeral to a celebration and turning emptiness into an overflow? I do. Come on. Come on. 
You always thought you was going to be Satan's property. Please sit down, let me preach. You always thought you was going to be Satan's property. But all of a sudden, you found a new Lord to worship. And I dare you, I dare you on this fourth day of living to start giving Jesus Christ praise and worship. He'll turn into a blood-soaked, covered child of God. And hell says, I can't touch that because every time I try to send them something, they just praise him louder. Every time I try to bring some kind of a setting thing, they just love him harder. Woo, hallelujah. There ain't nothing. Come on, there ain't nothing like praising the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us life and that more abundantly. Everybody say, God can do anything. You know, put it up there. It's a scripture, Ephesians 3 and 20. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. I never dreamed when I was a 10-year-old kid that I'd go to the master's. I know it's carnal talking, but I'm preaching right now. It took a while, but I went. I saw. I came home happy. Here's what I want to tell you. There is no dream giver. There's no dream planner in your life greater than Almighty God. I'm telling you, he can turn things that are going downhill in your life. He can turn the dryness into an overflow. He can give you an overflow like nobody else has ever given you in your life. He can turn emptiness into an overflow, but you've got to worship him. You've got to worship him. You've got to worship him. And now I'm plumb excited about Shaka Smart. I'm just preaching now, okay? We're liable to win a title. I bleed orange because I enjoy the boys. I bleed red because I love Jesus Christ. It's not in the faucet. It's in the relationship. It's what I'm connected to. Come on, let me preach to you. Little boy went in the candy store one day. And there was a, all kinds of jars of candy there. And he looked at one in particular. And the man said, son, just go ahead and get you some. Get all you want. It's free. Little boy looked at him real bashful. He said, son, did you hear me? I said, get you some. Get you some of that candy. He looked back up at him and he said, son, get you some candy. Little boy just kind of backed up. Finally, the store owner came over and put his hand in there and got him. He says, put this in your pocket, son. The daddy was standing right over there and he said, son, why didn't you obey that man? He said, daddy, I would have, but I wanted him to do it because his hand's bigger than mine. <laughs> Listen to me. Start worshiping with your little old hands and watch what God does with his big old hand in your life. See what God will do with his hands in your life. He told the woman at the well, whoever drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I shall give him 
shall never thirst. Never thirst. You have to learn to live the fourth day. See, Jesus offers life. And the third fact that I preach this morning is simply this. Jesus turns self-focused lives outward. He does. He turns self-focused lives outward. If I had a million dollars today, if I said, you know, I, I was the 25th billion customer patron that ever walked through the master's gate, and I want a million dollars, and I want to give it away to somebody today. Who would be the first person you'd think of? Most of us, if we're honest, we'd say, me, I need it. Because we all look out for ourselves. We look out for number one. In fact, that's what the world teaches. You've got to look out for number one. Don't you think God knows our human nature? Don't you think God knows that we look out for our own self-interest? Sure he does. That's why he wants to fill you up first. So you can flow outward to other people. Because God knows he's got to fill you up for you to have an outflow. We get filled up to overflowing so that we can outflow to others. Acts 1 and 8, one of the most powerful scriptures. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witness to me in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Here's a little illustration. I have a glass of water here and it's full. And the outside, because it's cold on the inside, may be a little sweaty on the outside. But it does not bless anybody but me when it's full. But when it starts overflowing, when it starts going outside the confines of that glass, that's when others will be blessed. Not just filled, but overflowing. See, God fills up his people first. Then he fills them up to overflowing. He fills them up so they can spill over and touch other lives. The book of Acts is all about the overflow. That's why the Holy Spirit's so powerful in the book of Acts. Because it's about the overflow. It's the overflow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know what? We got to live the fourth day, folks. We got to live it. And we live it when we don't just say, fill me. We live it when we say, God, flow through me. Let the presence of God baptize people everywhere I go. Why are some people magnets? And other people are resistors. I got a, I got a little, little theory for you. Nobody wants to die in the desert. There's some people that are just dry. They have no flow. There's no overflow in their life. Let me preach now. I'm coming to a close. There's no flow. They can get excited. It's kind of like a one day I saw driving down a road, a truck. In fact, I was changing a flat tire and there was some debris all around me and, and I, was, I was a little aggravated. I was in Houston, had a flat tire on Interstate 10 coming home. And I finally run the rim. I said, I got to get off this thing. I'm going to get killed. Is the back tire toward the road. And I said, this, 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 this shoulder's not big enough. So I got back. But I saw something. I saw them big old trucks come by and they'd just honk. I'd wave at them. 
They wasn't honking because they loved me. They was honking and said, get your hide off of this freeway. <laughs> but I noticed something. I noticed when they come by, there was napkins and stuff that would just kind of float in the air. And as soon as that truck was gone, they'd just come back down to earth. They had no lift in themselves. They had to be lifted by some other source. And you know what? I love to preach the gospel like I preached to you today, but you've got to have something on the inside to give you a lift. It can't, be a, it can't be a Pastor Mitch preaching or a Pastor Brad preaching and you get a lift because of the word. I want the word to lift you. There's got to be a lift every day because you've got to learn to live before today. You've got to learn to live it. Bible scholars have suggested that Jerusalem represents our personal relation with God. Judea represents family and friends, and Samaria represents our community. I want the Holy Ghost to set this church so on fire with our purpose of living the fourth day. In fact, next Sunday, I'm going to have a sign out there that says, we're living the fourth day. We're going to live the fourth day. We're not just going to look back and say, well, we can't wait till next Easter. We can't wait. Because on the first day of Easter, we cried. On the second day, we doubted. On the third day, we rejoiced. And now, we have to live the fourth day. we got to do it. Let me close. The ends of the earth are just that. Any place is the world. There's a 2,000-year-old story that may or may not be apocryphal. Took men, took place when much of the world was unknown and largely unmapped. Randy, if you'll help me. Cartographers had to have some way of portraying those areas in the earth that were yet unexplored. So they symbolized those regions by dragons and monsters and large fish. The message was clear. Uncharted territories were frightening, fearsome places. Terra lay buried there. But as many maps declared... I love this. There be treasures also. Everybody say, there be treasures also. It's not just monsters and dragons and large fish. There's treasures. And the story is this. One commander of a battalion of Roman soldiers was caught up in a battle that took him into the territory that mountain makers had represented with their monsters and dragons. Not knowing whether to forge ahead to the unknown or to turn back to the known, which would be a retreat. He dispatched a messenger to Rome with this urgent request. Please send new orders, for we have marched off the map. Somehow, somehow, I believe that this church caught something on Resurrection Week this time. I see a huge crowd, and I know I'm competing with the masters, but I see a huge crowd on the Sunday after Easter on a foggy morning in first service, which lets me know that something resonated. You understood the funeral was turned to a celebration and that emptiness was turned into overflowing and that self-focus was turned outward and all of a sudden you see a potential for you to be a magnet for the Lord Jesus Christ and to bring all kinds of people in this house and to see the hand of God save people after people after people. Ninety folks were baptized the week of Easter. Ninety people. That's ninety brand new salvations. Ninety people.
Can somebody rejoice over that? Can you get up in the morning and say, I'm going to walk on the fourth day. I'm going to live this fourth day. Come on. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it happen in my life. I'm going to make it happen in my life. The first mystery is how do we get from nothing to something? It's called creation. The second is how do we get from matter to life? It's called existence. The third is how do we get from life to mind? It's called consciousness. And the fourth is how do we get from death to life? It's called resurrection. Resurrection. I close today. His name was Eddie Rickenbacker. World War I flying ace. When the war was over, he came. He came back home. He wanted a job. So he walked in to a place, a place called Frayers. And he met the boss, the head man, and he said, I want to go to work for you. He said, sir, I know you're a hero, but we have no, we have no openings, sir. We have no openings. He said, you have no openings? He said, no, we have no openings. He said, you have no openings? So we have no openings. And he said again, you're, you're telling me you can't hire anybody else? Yeah. So I don't have a job. No. So Eddie started to leave. He started to walk out. Then he said, you know what? I'm going to turn around and I'm going to live this fourth day. He turned around. And he said, what if I just show up tomorrow? I love it. What if I just show up tomorrow? You going to fire me? And the guy shook his head and he said, you're the beatingest thing I've ever seen in my life. And Eddie worked for him for a long, long time. Here's what I want to tell you. God's in the hiring business today. He's not in the firing business. He's in the hiring business. Why don't you just show up in the morning? And say, I'm going to walk and I'm going to live this fourth day. Amen. I'm going to live it. I'm going to live it. Come on. Clap your hands. I'm going to live this fourth day. I'm going to live it. I'm going to live it. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet all over the house. And give the Lord a great hand clap of appreciation right now. Let's have a little church here right now. Come on. Let's have a little church here right now. Clap your hands all over the house. Clap your hands all over the house. Clap your hands all over the house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that concludes today's podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening. This is Randy Davenport, lead worship pastor here at Christian Life Austin, inviting you to check out our new single, Resurrected One, available now on iTunes and at cdbaby.com.